And we are in the last of this series. Let me tell you, when I first started out, I thought, oh, I may go one or two weeks. And there is so much about being girded up. And yes, that came from uh, one last time, in case you missed it, that word girded up is out of the King James. So it's not in any, if you have newer translation, it's not there. But it says, stand having your loins girt about to tuck, hold in. But really, it's talking about get ready, be prepared. God wants us ready, am I right? He wants us prepared. He doesn't want us sleeping. He wants us awake. And uh, even as Pastor Colleen mentioned, you know, with uh, Ukraine and Russia, how many of you have been watching that like a little intensely this week? Yeah. <laughs> like what's going to happen? What's going to go on? And I can't imagine being people that live in Ukraine knowing that, that Russia is building this stuff up. But it really plays into uh, end times. I read this scripture last week out of Matthew 24, and I felt like I needed to read it again, where uh, Jesus said, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah, they will deceive many. How many of you know that has happened uh, throughout the ages, right? But then he says, you will hear of wars and threats of wars. Has that happened quite a bit? And now we're hearing it again. But what does he say? Don't panic, right? Like sometimes, like, oh no, what's going to happen? He says, yes, these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. Then verse 13, it says, but though the one who endures to the end will be saved. How many of you guys want to endure? How many of you want to still be there after the battle is over? Amen? Here's that word endure. It means to stand firm by holding one's ground. Stand firm by holding your ground, not running the other way, not like, oh no, the sky is falling, I'm getting out of here. God has called us to stand firm, hold our ground, don't give that up to the enemy. And that really looks a whole lot to me like Ephesians six thirteen. it says, put on every piece of God's armor, which we are talking about today, and you will be able to resist the enemy at the times of evil, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Amen? Let me just say this. I know that uh, 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 with COVID, when it hit, and I've shared these numbers with some of you guys before, that uh, pre-COVID, most churches have not gotten back to where they were. There is a large uh, percent of people that have either stopped coming, stopped even watching online. They've disengaged completely with the church. How many of you realize that was a battle? COVID was a battle that has taken people out. Do you want to be, we don't know what 2022 is going to hold. We don't know what 2023, I like what Pastor Colleen said, it's going to be a good year in Jesus' name, right? But we don't know what's coming. So if we're not prepared, who are we to say what's going to take us out? You can still be standing firm. And I believe that that's what God wants. And it really made me, reminded me of a story from uh, 1814, September 13th. How many remember that date? No, I'm just kidding. This was the failed bombardment of Fort McHenry, and I got a little picture here. Uh, on September 11th, the British feet, uh, fleet came together, 50 vessels ranging from 80-gun 80, uh, 80 flagships, 74-gun 
men of war, 30, anyway, all kinds of bombing ships. I don't even know. And there were these transports that were carrying these people called Wellington's Invincibles. Now, this was like a refresher as I started looking this up. This was 4,000 men, British troops, that had just finished destroying and burning the capital of the United States in Washington, and now they're coming down to Baltimore. The only thing is, there's Baltimore, there was the Fort McHenry's in between there. So they had to get past Fort McHenry before they got to Baltimore, and they couldn't do it. I mean, the American firepower, they were just unloading. And, uh, and so the British fleet backed up about two miles and for like two days just started sending these huge bombs uh, into this fort. Trying to, and there was rain coming down, uh, so they were trying to catch the fort on fire, but the rain wouldn't let it. They couldn't blow it up. Eventually, after a couple of days, they finally had to surrender, and they booked out of there. That was the end of the War of 1812 that actually lasted for two years and uh, this was where the infamous uh, song, that or infamous, famous song, not infamous, I use that word wrong, but praise the Lord, uh, <laughs> where Francis Scott Key penned the words to what would become our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. And uh, how many of you guys, shall we sing it? No, we're not going to sing it. But uh, here's, uh, here's, and I, I was looking this up and reading it, here is a picture of the flag but the, what's left of it, this wasn't torn up. You can tell it was kind of cut off. Uh, they say a lot of the soldiers cut part of the flag as a, uh, to remember. Uh, but look how big this flag is. This is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people right there. That's a big flag. It was 30 feet this way, and uh, I have it written in my notes, 42 feet long when it was. And so the commander of the fort said, you know what? The British troops are coming. I want the biggest flag that you can make. That is a massive flag. They don't even make them that big. If you go to a, a fort today, they're not anywhere near that size. But the whole story of the flag was still there, you know, the bombs bursting in sight. I want to be like that flag that after the enemy has sent everything that he could possibly send, we are still there. That after the smoke goes away, the clouds goes away, it's like, man, the church is still going. I tried to take them out, but I couldn't do it. They were still there. So that's what God wants for us to do. And, and I know, you know what, there's a lot of people, they're preppers, you know, store up ammo, food, all of that. I'm not, you can do that if you want to, but I'm a big advocate for being spiritually prepped. Amen. Amen. We got to be spiritual preppers. I believe that's God's heart. Uh, I believe that's why God put on Paul's heart to uh, talk about the armor and, uh, and he did that. Listen, we all know that in the armor in Ephesians 6, those are all uh, metaphors to represent something. Why did he use armor? Because everybody in the Roman world understood about a Roman soldier's armor. And so he took every piece and he said, okay, listen, this represents this, this represents this. So uh, that's what he's talking about. So he says, after the battle, you will still be standing how many of you know, here's the thing about battles. You're either currently in one, or you just came out of one, or you may soon be going into one. Amen. Is that right? I mean, you don't get a point in life where it's like, no more battles. That's not till we get to heaven. As long as we're still on this earth, we're going to face different battles. What are some of those battles? How many of you know sickness, disease, or even an injury? That's a battle, isn't it? I mean... It, whatever whatever the situation is, and I don't believe that any of these are of God, 
right? I believe all of that is a part of the curse of sin. And so listen, we should battle. We should never get to the point like, well, it is what it is. I mean, we're praying for uh, our friend back in Chico, even though the doctors are saying it's terminal. Listen, this is what we believe. We are going to believe for a healing. If God ends up taking him up to heaven, then he does get his ultimate healing. But I've always told people, as long as you're on this side of heaven, we're praying for a complete healing. Amen? When transition happens, that's okay. That's not, a, that's not a bad thing. What does Paul say? You know what? To die is gain. But you know what? We're going to fight and we're going to stand for healing. And, and so we need to learn to battle that and not just give into it. Amen? What's the other thing that we have to battle? Our minds, emotions, our thought life. Nobody's had to fight that, right? Right? Bad thoughts that come in. Doubt comes in. All of these things come in. And uh, we have to battle those things in our mind, not just give into it. Listen, just because you have a bad thought that comes into your head uh, doesn't mean that you hang on to it, right? I've shared this before with people. You may have thoughts come into your head. What does the scripture say? Take captive of every thought. You can't stop the thoughts coming from into your head. And this is the analogy I heard. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest there. So the thoughts come in, battle it, make it captive to the obedience of Christ. The other things that we uh, battle, how many of you know we battle a corrupt culture? Can I say there's a right way and a wrong way to do it? All right, can I tell you, social media is not going to win the cultural war. All right, I don't care how much you put out there, uh, it's not going to do it. We've got to do it God's way. We fight things God's way with prayer. We live, you know, that's why we, that's why we seek God in prayer. We're praying for breakthrough, but not only that, we do it by our lifestyle. You live a lifestyle that honors God and loves other people. Let me tell you, that's how you bring that down. When somebody's on the receiving end of unconditional love, that begins to break barriers in their life. So we do it the right way, and, and really this is kind of goes along with it, but we battle for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. Amen. That's why we're here. That's why God has left us here. And so we need to put on that armor. These battles are real, and, and it's no, we can't just sit on the sideline and think, oh, man, I just hope everything works out. No, God has called us to be a part of that. So let's look at the different pieces of armor. Starting at verse 14, he says, stand for, and you guys have been hearing me for the last five weeks now, uh, but in this version, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And so I've got a belt here. I don't know if I can get it off, but uh, the belt of truth. How many of you know how important a belt is if your pants are too loose? There's a reason that this is like the, the uh, first piece of armor that is listed, because if you don't have this, everything else is falling apart, right? If you don't have truth, it's the belt of truth. And, and the reality is that lies half-truths, deception. Well, it's kind of true. How many of you know if something's kind of true, it's still a lie? If you don't give all the facts, if you're being deceptive in it, it's still a lie. It's like, well, this was true. Well, that's wonderful. You know what? If I gave you a glass of water that was mostly pure, right? Like, oh, don't worry. Half of it's bottled water and the other half is toilet water. Have a drink, right? How many of you be like, uh, no. And so either something is a true or it's not. So truth is so important. It, it's what girds us up. And yes, I've known Christians, I've known pastors that have struggled being a truthful person. Am I right? 
You probably know it too. Uh, you know, our kids, when they were young, and none of them are here right now, uh, they knew the worst thing that you could do in our family was to lie. They might hit each other in the face or, you know, arm wrestle or whatever. Yeah, you're going to get punished for that. But if you got to tell the truth, telling the truth was the most important. How many of you, that was a rule in your home? There's a reason for that. Because when we talk about lies, how many of you know that a lie is more than just saying something untrue? Isn't it? And truth is more than just saying true things. Truth is a character trait. Because everybody can tell the truth at one point. Everybody can lie at one point. What matters is what is your character? What is your character? Here's the, here's the other thing. If you don't have truth, how many of you know you're never going to recognize truth? If you have believed a lie and you've lived in that lie, and you've based your life on that lie, all of a sudden truth comes along and you're not going to recognize that as truth. You're going to be like, oh, that's a lie. What's true for you may work for you, but what's true for me works for me. How many of you know there can only be one truth? And it's not my opinion of what's true. It's not anybody else's opinion. We've got to allow God's word to be the only thing that we stand for that is true. His is the only thing that... And so I think about this. Back when Jesus was on the planet and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the teachers of the law who knew the Old Testament better than anybody else, I always think, how did they miss it? Have you ever thought that? How did they miss Jesus is going by on the donkey and they're on the inside missing it? Especially, I mean, they had like Isaiah 58 that is so descriptive. And I, I, for the longest time, I didn't understand that other than the fact that they believed a lie. They were not in the right place. Look what it says in John 8, 43. And this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He goes, why can't you understand what I'm saying? And then he answers it. It's because you can't even hear me. How many of you know he's not talking about their physical ears? Spiritual ears were turned off. Look what he goes on to tell them. For you are the children of your father, the devil. I don't think they appreciated that, but uh, let's just move on. He goes, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. How many of you know people that love an evil lifestyle, they do not like truth? There are people that will hate you, not because of who you are, but because of the truth you stand for. This has always happened. And look what he goes on to tell them. When he lies, talking about the, uh, the devil, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so the belt of truth is so important, because if I want to walk in truth, I've got to recognize what truth is. I've got to begin to understand. And why is it that some people cannot accept truth? Like I said, they've embraced a, a lifestyle that is contrary to God's word. And they've hung on to that. And they've done it so long. It's the evil things that, that we do. And we're like, oh, and we, how many of you know we kind of justify that sometimes? Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, God loves me anyway. It's all going to be okay. We start telling ourselves that. And we start believing that long enough that when truth comes along, it's like, I don't even recognize that. We've got to hang on to what is true if we're going to follow after him. If we're going to have the rest of the armor, uh, we've got to hang on. Look what Jesus said. He says, I am, and I, I capitalize that, the way. How many of you know that that means there's no other way? I am the way. He says, I am the truth, which means there's no other truth. And I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
All right? That's the only way. We have to accept His truth. And when it's contrary to things that I've always believed or the things that I've accepted, I have to say, you know what? If what I've believed doesn't line up with truth, then I've got to discard what I used to believe and I've got to hang on to truth. I've got to gird myself up with truth. Amen? So what's the next piece of armor is the breastplate. Whoops, there it goes. The breastplate of righteousness in place. Uh, you can fill that in. Well, I think that's filled in in your notes. Uh, here's the deal. We don't stand in our own righteousness, do we? What does it mean to be righteous? It means that you have right standing with God. That means you don't have any sin. That means you don't have any marks against you. You are right before God. And let me just say, if I have to stand in my own righteousness, I'm not standing before God, right? I'll be like a puff of smoke and ashes left over, amen? How many of you recognize that? But here's the thing. Why is that? Why is the breastplate? Why is that a piece of God's armor? Because here's what happened. If you don't realize that you stand in God's righteousness, we have an enemy that'll come along and say, oh, who do you think you are? Who do you think? Look what you did. I know what you did last night. I know those words that you said. I know the, the things that you are thinking in your head. You failed time and time again. How many of you know the enemy's good at attacking that way? And what happens is, uh, how many of you know, sometimes he's, he's right. Man, I did have the wrong attitude. Man, I did cut that person off in traffic. Man, I did have that thought in my head. Uh, so sometimes he accuses us of things that, yes, we did do, and yes, we are guilty of, and if we're trying to come and do the things that God has called us to do, and we're standing in our own righteousness, man, we're guilty. That's why it is his righteousness. Look what it says in Isaiah 46, 6. We are all, everybody say all, all infected and impure with sin. And when we display our righteous deeds, oh God, look what I did. Look at how amazing I am. Look at all these people I led to you, Lord. Uh, what does he say? They are nothing but filthy rags. Ouch. That is so true. And we need to realize that. But the good thing is that when you come to Christ, you don't have to stand in your righteousness. We put on the righteousness of Christ. Second Corinthians says this, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have to wear that. I am God. Can I just have everybody say that? Say, I am God's righteousness. I, remind yourself, when the enemy comes in and tells you what a failure and how much you've blown it, you can say, yes, that was all true, but you know what? He became sin for me so that I could become his righteousness. Right? If you're walking around guilty, you're never going to go forth and do the things that God has called us to do. Romans 3, 22 through 24 says this, this righteousness from God, it comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. You can be righteous when you put your faith in him. It says there's no difference for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? So we, that's why I need God's righteousness. So I have truth. I have righteousness. Uh, the next one, uh, Ephesians 6.15, for shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Everybody say prepared. One version says the readiness of the gospel. How many of you know being ready and being prepared is the same thing? And uh, so I don't have any shoes, so I did wear my hiking boots there. 
there, that's all, I don't have any of my old army boots or anything like that, so you're just going to have to go with hiking boots because that's what I got. Uh, but here's the thing. How many of you know when you leave your house, usually the last thing you put on is your shoes? I mean, for most people, how many of you put your shoes on before you put your pants? Right? <laughs> we don't do that, do we? And, and like even at our home, uh, like if I'm putting my shoes on, uh, Pastor Colleen, she'll like, oh, you're getting ready. Or where are you going? Because I'm putting my shoes on. And you know what? Not only that, how many of you know your dog knows when you put your shoes on, something's up? Our dogs, because he has to go into his room. Uh, if we leave him out, he, he messes things up because he doesn't like it. So he has the laundry room he goes into. So he sees the shoes going on, and it's like he does like the slow walk. You know, what do they call that? The green mile or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, I got to go to my room. So he doesn't like it. So here's the thing. Putting your shoes on means I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go and do whatever you want. And, and it says the shoes of the gospel of peace. And so there's peace in there. What, what does that have to do? What is the, the word peace itself? That word means welfare or freedom from worry. So why is that important in the armor? Because if I'm walking around in worry and despair and fear, how many of you know I'm not going out of my house? I'm not going anywhere. If I'm overcome with fear and worry, and so I got to put my shoes on, I got to put the peace of God in my life so that I can go out and do the things that God's called me to do. If I'm going to battle, I need to do that. And notice that it only comes from the good news. Colossians says this, let the peace that comes from Christ, it doesn't come from uh, burning incense, it doesn't come from, uh, uh, you know, meditating, let me just meditate hmm, for a while. How many of you know that's not the peace he's talking about? No, it's the peace that comes from Christ. Hey, what does he say? Let it rule in your heart. Think about in a world that is living with fear and anxiety and all of that, we can have Christ's peace ruling in our heart. And when Christ's peace is ruling in your heart, look what he says. For as members of one body, you are called to live at peace and always be thankful. It is so much easier to be at peace with other people when you got peace right here, right? When you got the peace of God ruling in your heart. And here's the thing. If you find yourself short and angry and hostile to other people, then there's probably something going on in here. We're probably missing a little piece on the inside. And so that's an armor. Here it is, my, my boots again. Put on peace. Put it on. Put that peace on. Put that breastplate. I'm in Christ's righteousness. Have that belt of truth. Lord, I'm walking in truth. The, the next one is the shield of faith. In addition, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So I got my little shield here. And uh, uh, how many of you know, when you first come to the Lord, and the enemy really does fire fiery darts, right? Anybody been on the receiving end of some of those? Oh, you're worthless. You're this. You failed. You, you know, all those things, even though we were talking about truth, but sometimes he throws those at us. And, and, and sometimes, I don't know. I know the enemy throws it. I think sometimes we throw our own darts. Sometimes we kind of beat our own self up in, in areas that we don't need to do. And, and listen, I could do a whole series on this, but, but here's the thing. This is what uh, Isaiah, I read this a couple of weeks ago. It says, in a coming day, no weapon turned against you is going to succeed. Just like uh, Fort McHenry, they were firing the bombs, but guess what? They did not produce the result. The enemy is going to attack. 
He's going to throw the fiery darts. He's going to turn that stuff against us. But guess what? It doesn't get the results that he wants. And so uh, one thing about this shield, especially this is the only armor that it talks about that actually can grow. So you may accept Christ and you got this shield. How many of you know if you got the enemy throwing darts, it's like, you know, you're like trying to cover all over the place, right? But, but if you allow your faith to grow, I've got another shield here. Guess what? Your faith begins to grow. And then it gets to be a little bit easier. We were looking for a really big shield. Uh, but the more your faith grows, guess what? The bigger your shield is. And you can quench those fiery darts a whole lot easier as they're coming at you. And then to top that off, there it goes. <laughs> I lost my shield. Oh, no. What am I going to do? So to top that off, when you get connected to a community of believers, uh, then you have this right here. We are guarding each other, right? It's not like I'm just, you know, oh, me and the devil. Man, I hope I can block everything, right? No, you got your brothers and you got your sisters on the left and right of you, and, uh, and we band together, and the enemy's got a hard time. So, so let's put our shields together, amen? amen? That's why we want to get even in our small groups going because that's where you're going to have that community and begin to build that uh, more and more. I want to go back uh, one slide here. Colossians says this, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him, then your faith will grow strong. I want my faith to grow strong. I, I've got to get into, I've got to do the things that cause my faith to grow. And I've got three things that, that allow our faith to grow. First one, I think if you've been a believer very long, you know this, God's word is one of the things that builds our faith, doesn't it? If I don't get into God's word, if I don't get into his truth uh, and allow that to get into me, right? How many of you know the goal is not to get through scripture, it's to get it through me, right? It's not a matter I just read it and, oh, boom, I did my duty. No, God's word's got to get on the inside. When I do that, what does the scripture say? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And that could be by your personal reading, that could be through uh, preaching, that could be through Bible studies. However you allow God's Word in, it increases your faith. Another way our faith grows is uh, by being in community. Like I said, with those shields. You, you grow stronger when you're in community. We grow weaker when we're all by ourselves. Even though you can get, how many of you know you can get into heaven without going to church? Yeah, absolutely. But I want to tell you, it's a lot better ride when you're on the bus with a bunch of other people that, that help you out, that encourage you, that build you up rather than just trying to do it alone. Look what the scripture says in Hebrews 24. Let us think of ways, look, to motivate one another. I talked about this last week, the one another's a scripture. We are to motivate. Let me just say, our, if we're left to our own devices, we will shrink back. Oh, yeah, you know what? I don't need to do that. I love God. I'm good. We are to be motivated to do what? Acts of love and good work. And then let us not neglect our meeting together. This is what amazes me. Even back in the first century, people had an issue coming together. Oh, do I need to do that? I don't have to do Because it's like, what, do I, what am I getting out? Sometimes we got to stop looking at what am I getting out of it and more like, what can I give? Because the reality with those shields, that picture that I have, you're like, well, I'm not really in a battle, but how many of you know there may be somebody that needs your armor next to them? There may be somebody that needs you to help defend where they're at because they don't have it in themselves at that point, right? 
And so we are to uh, 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 motivate one another. And it says, and to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How many of you think that's true today? Even more. It's 2,000 years closer now than when this was written. And so we need each other. And your faith grows the more that you're connected with other people. We are not meant to be alone. We're meant to be together. And, and the other way that our faith grows is by putting it into action. How many of you know if you have faith but you have no works whatsoever, what, is that, what does it say in James about your faith? He says this, your faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Now let me just make it clear. We are not saved by our good works, are we? No, we're not. You can do all the good things in the world. That doesn't mean that you're in the kingdom of God. There's a lot of people that are going the wrong directions that do good things. But here's the thing. If you say you have faith in God, then naturally, just like an apple tree produces apples, good things are going to come out of your life. It's just a natural byproduct. And so uh, he says this. He starts telling him about Abraham. He says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God? How? By his actions, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, if you don't know the rest of the story, he didn't actually kill him. God provided something. Uh, but look what he says in verse 22. His faith and his actions work together. That needs to be us. If my faith is going to grow, it's got to be coupled with my actions. If God tells me you need to forgive somebody and I refuse to forgive somebody, I, oh, I know it says that. Uh, if I, if I, guess what's happening to my faith? I've got to do the things that God has called me to do, not just believe it. Believing is not enough. I've got to actually put it into action, amen? And when you do, I guarantee your faith is going to grow. When I put the Word of God in me, when I come together as a community, when I'm uh, busy doing the things that God has called me to do, then let me tell you, you've got big faith. Your shield grows uh, uh, amazingly. Uh, next one, Ephesians 17a, the, put on the sal uh, salvation as your helmet, and uh, I've got my helmet here. You guys think I can preach the rest of this message with this on? How does it look on me? I'm not going to do it because it's going to fall off. But I thought it was kind of a cool little thing. Whoa, there it goes. And there it goes. I'm dropping my shield. I'm dropping my helmet. What is going on here, right? Let me just say the helmet of salvation. What does this protect? Your head, right? So it's not really like the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. What's different about my head is that's where all my decisions are made. That's where all my thoughts are at. That's where everything that, that, that really controls me, my arm does not operate on its own without my head. Like if you really lose your head, how many of you know you're not functioning anymore? Right? It doesn't happen that way. So the helmet of salvation, if, if everything that I do in my life is my decision, uh, then I'm the head. But when we put this on, we're saying, Jesus, you're my head, right? How many of you in the scripture says that he is the head of the church? Sometimes people say, because I'm the pastor, if we're past, oh, I want to come to your church. Well, the reality, and I understand what they're saying. It's not like, oh, I own this uh, place. No, it's really his church, isn't it? It's his church. I mean, we're here for a time, but really everything is ultimately his. And not just with the church, but with, even with my life. 
A lot of times people, oh, you know what, this is my life. I want to do what I want to do with my life. I want to, you know, I want to go here with my life. I want to spend my money here. It's all mine. Uh, mine, 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 right? And we replace the Godhead with our own personal Godhead of me, myself, and I. Right? It becomes all about me and all about my life and all about the things I want to do. But the reality is that when you give your life to Christ, how many of you know you've surrendered it to Him? You're like, my life is no longer my own. What does it say in 1 Corinthians? Oh, here we go. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and it was given to you by God? Look what he says. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. God bought each and every one of us. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, guess what? I belong to Him. So when I put this helmet on, I'm saying, okay, God, I know my selfish nature wants to do this, that, and the other thing, but Lord, I'm surrendering myself to you, and I'm saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to spend this money? What? And, and, and listen, not in a manipulative way to, at all. We're surrendering to Christ. Amen? We're surrendering to Him. I need the helmet of salvation for me to remember that I belong to God. I belong to Him. Amen? Last one, Ephesians 17, uh, the second, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, yes, I do have my sword here. It is, uh, it's, it's real and not real. You wouldn't take it to battle. It's not that solid, but it can definitely puncture a lung. So you don't want to get up and get dangerous with it. Uh, but the Word is so important in our lives. Whenever the enemy comes in, and, and this is a defensive or an offensive weapon, right? You come against the enemy with your sword. These are all protections on your body. And listen, last week, if you missed it, I talked about prayer, which is part of the armor as well. I spent an entire uh, message on that one aspect. So that's, this is not the only offensive weapon God has given us. Uh, but at this point right here, this is it. This is what we got God's word. And some of you guys will know this, that, that when the enemy came and tried to tempt Jesus, how did Jesus defeat him? His word. What did he say? It is written, right? He said that several times, three times to the enemy that tried to tempt him. I actually have, uh, have it right here. So uh, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, or 21 days, right? Uh, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God... Tell these stones to be bread, uh, become bread. Jesus answered, let's all say they're yellow. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the, uh, Jesus didn't like get, duke it out with him, right? He didn't post, you know what, on, on his Facebook, Satan is a scum, don't listen to him, you know. He's, he's a bad guy. He, no, he began to say, it is written. He's declaring God's word, using God's word as a sword. So that's why it's important to know God's word, because the enemy's going to come at you. He's going to try to uh, uh, wear you down. He's going to try to tell you uh, things that are not true. But when you know God's word, you can defend it. You can attack the enemy and you can come against him. But I want to give a word of a caution, because how many of you know the devil knows the word too? The devil knows the Bible just as better than probably any of us here. He's been around a long time, and look what he, what he thinks he's going to speak the word to Jesus, right? Isn't Jesus the word? And he's going to quote the word to the word, right? Look what he says in verse 5. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple 
And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And look, Satan is saying this, for it is written. That's the enemy saying that. It says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. How many of you know that's an actual scripture out of Psalms? Is he quoting it? Is it right? Is it true? Yes, it is. All of that is true. But here's the thing. Uh, The enemy is using the word. You always got to think about context. What is he talking about? Like I said, he knows it better than us. And the devil is good at taking God's word and using it as a weapon, twisting it just a little bit to where you don't recognize. And it's like, well, that is in the Bible. Well, that is in there. Well, I don't know. If you don't understand context of how Scripture is, how many of you know you're going to be led astray? You, I mean, have you ever thought, how do cults get started? How do people fall for that? How did Jim Jones, you know, what was that, back in 70-something, get people, you know, like a thousand people to drink poisonous Kool-Aid and die? How does that, how does that happen? It's because the Word comes in, he used the Word, but then it just started twisting it just a little bit just a little bit, until he was able to manipulate. And I want to tell you, if you, don't, if you think, oh, I, that's not going to happen to me, look what it says in Ephesians 4. He's talking about us becoming mature, uh, not like children. He says, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us. How many of you know people will still try to trick you? People will use God's word to manipulate you, to try to control you, to try to deceive you. Just because it might say church or somebody has reverend, don't assume automatically that, oh man, that, that, that's got to be right. And it says like that, trick us with what? Lies so clever, they sound like the truth. And I know you guys have heard me say this time and time again. I, I encourage people to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. The Bible says that they, ser- they receive the word with joy... So they heard the scripture, it was exciting, but then they went home to make sure what they said was true. Is it true? Is it real? Uh, That's the only way you're going to be able to use that. Uh, Paul tells us in Timothy, he says, work hard so you can present yourselves to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who does what? Correctly handles, explains the word of truth. We've got to use God's word in a right way. And let me just say, I'm sure you have as well. I've heard way too many people quote scriptures way out of context that have nothing to do with really why it was written. Like if you go buy a purchase of firearms, first time you ever do it, uh, what is a course that you have to take, at least here in California? Yeah, a gun safety course, right? How many of you know, I just want to say, I think sometimes we need a sword safety course for people so that we know how to handle our sword in the right way. And I just want to say, you don't have to have a Bible college education in order to use God's Word correctly. Oh, well, I, don't have, I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't do that. I don't have all. You don't have to have all of that. You can handle God's Word by uh, common sense and following the Holy Spirit. Like when you hear a scripture quoted, uh, how about context? How about read the verses that are before and after and don't just cherry pick a verse and say, oh, I'm claiming that, right? Oh, man, I want to go clown, climb, uh, what's the tallest mountain? Everest. I want to go climb Mount Everest. God says I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm just going to quote that verse and I'm going to climb that mountain. 
Uh, I don't know where, but I'm thinking it's going to be early that I'm going to give out. doesn't matter how much I quote that verse because I've not trained for it. I am not in the physical shape to do that. Uh, uh, how many football players are probably going to be quoting that today as they go on the football field? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, if you read that verse in context, it has nothing to do with achieving your personal goals. They quote, people quote it out of context all the time. I, like I said, I could do a whole series on misquoted scripture. Uh, here's another one right here, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. So that's often followed by only God can judge me. Anybody ever hear that? Come on, let's be honest. You've heard that don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Uh, well, you know what? If you look at that, that means that... Uh, uh, apparently, I can't say anything to anybody ever. And, uh, and how many of you know only God can judge me does not come out of the Bible? Amen. Does anybody know where it comes out of? I heard somebody say it. Tupac, right? So there's a rapper that said that. But people will quote things that they hear that sounds like Scripture, like godliness is next to, or cleanliness is next to godliness. How many of you know that's not in the Bible either? A lot of, if you're not, if you don't know the word, I mean, you may be, oh, this is the word. No, that's a plastic uh, toy uh, sword there. That's not even in God's word. Or you're handling it in the wrong way. Listen, if, if we take that, <laughs> hallelujah, if we take it like, like that, I can't judge anybody. Let's just get rid of our judicial system. Let's just get rid of all of that because nobody can say anything. Nobody can judge anybody. Listen, if you want to st uh, look at God's Word correctly, read it in context because the rest of that passage is talking about taking the log out of your eye before you take it out of somebody else's eye, right? It's talking about self-righteous. People that are self-righteous think they got it all together and they're just nitpicking everybody else and not even looking inward. How many of you know, before we start picking other people's apart, we better allow God's word to pick us apart, Amen. right? So that we're right. And it says so that you can help that other person. Right. So it doesn't say don't judge, just don't be uh, judgmental. Right. Is there a difference in that? Yeah. And so not only do you, uh, uh, when you're seeing God's word, read it in context, but then uh, read other verses that deal with the same topic. Because there are many scriptures that talk about judging that put it in perspective. This one in particular, 1 Corinthians right here, says it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. He's talking about those that are outside the church. He goes, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning, who are walking in a lifestyle that is contrary to the word of God. And it says, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, remove the evil person from among you. Now, I don't have time to really get into the whole topic uh, of the right way to judge. Listen, you better have your heart right first. You better actually, I think it's important that you love the other person and you've built a relationship, not like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Uh, we don't need that in the church, right? We all know that we fail, but listen, judging is an important thing, but it's got to be done in the right way. So we, when we're quoting scripture, it's got to be done. We've got to handle the sword in a correct way. So I, that's why I'm encouraging, you know, when it comes to how, does, how do I allow God's word to uh, penetrate my heart? What do I got to do? How do I let that sword? And uh, this verse right out of Hebrews, and I got it out of the Passion Version. 
It says, for we have this living word. We have this living word which is full of energy. It pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. How many of you know when you allow God's work on the inside of you, then you can actually be a help to somebody else? I've got to allow God to begin to work on me in order to uh, 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 be an effective soldier. If I'm going to put on this whole armor, I've got to have all of it. And once it comes to this, I better handle it in the right way. Because I think there's too many people that have been hurt by God's Word. Too many pastors that have, have uh, manipulated it. I mean, we remember there was a pastor we knew at another place that uh, he says, oh yeah, they always like to have me take up the offering because I know how to get a good offering. I mean, that was literally words out of his mouth. And in my mind, I interpreted that as I know how to manipulate people just right. I know how to say the right thing to where they're going to cough up all the cash. Lord, help us. Lord, help us from using this thing in a wrong way. Because God's word is powerful and it will tear down strongholds. It will, it will judge our hearts so that we're right with God. And, and, and it can be a tool that can set people free. And that's what God has called us to do. So uh, as we get ready to close, listen, we're going to pray. Before you do leave, I want you to remember the armor of God. So we have at the back there, we do have these little wristbands that we're giving out that it has all the armor of God on it. Uh, if you don't like wearing these things, then uh, get one and give to a kid or a grandkid or something like that. But I just want you to remember, every day I've got to put on that armor. I need my helmet of salvation. I need to know where my head belongs. It's in Jesus, right? I need to know that I'm standing in his righteousness, not in my own righteousness. And when the devil wants to come and condemn me, I can be like, thank you, God, that I'm in your righteousness. Thank you, God, that you took my sin. I want the belt of truth. I want to make sure that I'm walking in his truth and not my truth, right? I need that shield. I need my faith to grow greater and greater. Amen? Amen. So can I have everybody stand? Thank you, Lord. Father, you put that, that, that armor, Lord, you put it on Paul. You inspired Paul to write that for a reason. And Lord God, we want that. We want every piece of your protection, Lord God. And Father, we want the power of your spirit. We want the word of God. And Lord God, to go forth in prayer. Lord, we want to be the soldiers that you have called us to do. Not to wage world, war like this world does, but Lord God, like your kingdom does. Lord, not to fight against a, a flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces in dark places. And so, Lord, we are declaring, we are ready. Lord, we are geared up. Lord God, we are gird up, uh, ready. And we want to stand, Lord God, not in our own strength, but by your strength. Lord, as we go forth through this next year, Lord, to the end of our life, till you take us home, Lord God, let us walk in the strength and the power of your spirit that you've given us, Lord God, not in our strength, not in our strength, but in your strength, Lord God. So, Father, we thank you. You know, if you're here today and you're saying, listen, I don't even know anything about all this armor stuff. Listen, the first thing that we've got to do, we need that helmet. We need salvation. It's surrendering your life, saying, God, no longer me, but I surrender my head to you. 
I surrender my heart to you. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, if I were to die today, I don't know if I would make it, then, uh, then we're going we're gonna to we're gonna say a prayer together. And if that's you, uh, let me know afterwards. But let's all say this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. And I surrender my life today for your kingdom and for your work. Help me to be gird up, ready for whatever the enemy has. So after the battle is over, I will still be standing strong. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a big hand clap.